Physics World. Hello, welcome to the February episode of the Physics World podcast. Today we'll be talking about how a portrait of an inspirational female polymath will soon be appearing in wallets across Scotland. The Royal Bank of Scotland has announced this month that following a public vote, its new £10 banknotes will feature the Scottish mathematician and science writer Mary Somerville. Mary beat off competition from fellow Scots James Clark Maxwell and the engineer Thomas Telford, and she becomes the first woman other than a royal to appear on a Scottish banknote. Now the first question I'm sure many of you are asking is, who was Mary Somerville? I'm James Dacey, a reporter for Physics World, and to find out more about Mary's life and legacy, I visited Somerville College, Oxford, which opened as a women's only college in 1879, seven years after Mary's death. Famous alumni include Chemistry Nobel Laureate Dorothy Hodgkin and the only female Prime Ministers of the UK and India to date, Margaret Thatcher and Indira Gandhi. Today the college accepts both women and men, and I met with the college principal, Alice Prohaska, a historian by training, who explained how Mary's first encounter with mathematics came from an unlikely source. Mary Somerville lived from 1780 to uh, 1872, so she was just short of her 92nd birthday when she died. And during that long life, she had a passion to excel at something, as she wrote in her memoirs, and um, she fell in love with mathematics, discovering it quite by accident when she was reading a fashion magazine that had some algebra puzzles in it. And despite the opposition of her family, she studied away, and she was obviously very brilliant, intellectually gifted, and she managed to become an accomplished mathematician and astronomer. And her second husband, William Somerville, who was a marine physician, helped her and supported her. He was a very enlightened man and actually published some of her earliest work under his own name because that was the only way it could be published. Uh, And she came to know a group of people, first of all in Scotland where she was born, Um, and she was part of the circle of the Edinburgh Enlightenment, if you like. Uh, And then when she moved to London with her husband, who was also Scottish, she um, got to know uh, quite a few of the leading intellectuals of her day. Mary Somerville achieved great fame and acclaim in the second part of her life for science writing and interpreting the leading mathematics of the day. But it hadn't been an easy start for her, as Mary's parents were far from encouraging of their daughter's thirst for knowledge. During my visit to Oxford, I also met the science historian Alan Chapman, author of a 2004 biography of Mary Somerville. He explained how Mary taught herself and progressed rapidly through a combination of brilliance and sheer determination. She came across from a family with Navy connections, and of course her father had books on navigation and on mathematics, which she started to look at. She also had an older brother who was a student at Edinburgh and he got things for her. But this alarmed her parents. Girls reading mathematics, dangerous. It will soften their brains. And she records that what occurred, her father said to her mother that he knew of a Miss Blank who had gone mad in pursuit of the longitude. Clearly, mathematics and women didn't go together. So she was, had the books taken from her. She then begged and negotiated a short period each day when she was allowed to read mathematics. She then 
apparently, and this is because the telltale thing of having candle lighting, her maid or whoever looked after her at night found that her candles were mysteriously disappearing in the night. Mm-hmm. And she was spending half the night reading mathematics books. The candles were then removed from her. She then said the time she was allowed to read in the daytime was as an excellent discipline. She would learn everything she was reading and then lie in bed at night and rehearse all the equations in her own mind. Mm-hmm. That is determination. She was immensely gifted she must have had a photographic memory and I think the ability to do complex mathematics in the head. Mary's dad was Sir William George Fairfax, who was knighted for his services with the British Navy. Though despite their relatively high status, the family was not particularly wealthy, so Mary learned the value of money early on in life. Through her self-education, she was developing a fascination with the mechanics of the heavens. Had she been around today, she would no doubt have been very closely following the recent discovery of gravitational waves by the LIGO experiment. When it came to romance, Mary was married twice, and the two husbands took very different views of Mary's intellectual gifts, as Chapman explains. Her passion was gravitational mechanics, Mm. the extraordinary way in which the universe holds together by invisible forces. She was what you call a physicist, if by, mm. by modern standards, uh, a gravitational physicist, we, we might call her today. She was fascinated by the heavens. And when she first married, uh, when she was 24, her first husband, uh, much called Samuel Grieg, who was Scottish-Russian, was himself a captain in the Imperial Russian Navy, but of Scottish descent. She recalls that her husband had a very low opinion of female intellect, Mm. which was very unfortunate. Then he died. Then she put herself through, with a bit of money she has done, into what might now be called a very good education at Edinburgh. She couldn't attend the university, and it was a very high-powered self-education. She attended lectures. She had private tutorials from the professors, which she paid for, and turned herself into a first-rate mathematician by the time she was in her mid to late 20s. She then remarried when she was 32 in 1812, and this was to Dr William Sullivan, himself an army surgeon and a distant relative. And, in fact, that was the marriage that really went off like a house on fire. She always refers to him as Somerville, and she says that Somerville was proud of her, he was proud of her intellect. I loved showing off this brilliantly talented wife. And of course, when Somerville becomes the physician to the Chelsea Hospital in London, then of course, in the immediate swim of well-connected West End of London society. And there she really establishes her reputation. Not by publications in the early stages, but by letters, by conversations, and her reputation spreads literally by word of mouth. Mm. Although Mary's first scientific paper wasn't published until 1826, her intellectual status was growing rapidly, and she became good friends with William and Caroline Herschel and Charles Babbage and many other leading thinkers of the day. Following the end of the Napoleonic Wars, Mary and William took the chance to visit Europe for the first time in 1815. When they arrived in Paris, they found to their surprise that Mary was already famous among mathematical circles, as she discovered through meetings with the likes of François Arago and Jean-Baptiste Biot. 
Perhaps the greatest moment of that trip, though, was meeting her hero, and now elderly Pierre-Simon Laplace, a pioneer in theorising the origins of the solar system. In fact, meeting Laplace was rather fascinating incident. We have to bear in mind that British mathematics at that time, 1810, 1815, was actually backward. We must remember that. Because English mathematics was still Newtonian, it was so rooted in Newtonian methods, and it had not really gone much beyond Principia as a sort of adulation to Newton. France had gone differently. Because obviously they adulated Newton, needless to say, but they'd gone beyond, and they developed new techniques of analysis and so on. And the French mathematics, although we were at war with France up to 1815, French scientific books were apparently quite easily available over here. Hmm. She taught herself French, she taught herself Latin and Greek, she had a natural flair for languages. And as a result of this, she starts reading systematically French higher mathematics in a way that you wouldn't have read had you been an undergraduate at Cambridge. So in a way, her mathematics is ahead of much of what is being taught in the English universities, although Edinburgh is a bit more advanced at this stage. Now, when she therefore meets Laplace, he heralds her as a female savant from Britain. No doubt spurred on by this experience, Mary returned to London, where a few years later she started writing a treatise on Laplace's work under the invite of Henry Brougham, a statesman who served as the Lord Chancellor of Great Britain for a time during the 1830s. Mary's book, The Mechanism of the Heavens, published in 1831, was an interpretation of Laplace's masterpiece, Mécanique Celeste, but actually went much further and developed the mathematics significantly. After this dense text was received with great acclaim in learned circles, the publishers now saw an opportunity to take Mary Somerville to the mainstream, as Chapman explains. All of a sudden, she really, really starts hitting the big turret. And her publishers next go for a bestseller, because this first is going to be clearly a learned book, which is not accessible to the vast majority of the population. She produces, in 1835, her connection of the physical sciences. This is an absolutely magisterial treatise, looking at how all the branches of physical science, optics, gravitational mechanics, what was then understood about electromagnetism, all of these things fit together. It became a bestseller. Even Charles Darwin read it. Everybody read this particular book. It is a wonderful read and she has a tremendous easy style. It's, it's on it's available um, free to read online. Uh, I presume very, it would be now as English very, books online. I, I had a look before um, coming here and it's, it, it is very, very accessible. I was surprised. You know, it's Wonderfully very, accessible. It, it, it feels very fresh even today the, the way it's written. She would, I mean, were she alive today, she'd be um, as well as being an FRS and probably head of an Oxford College or Cambridge College or Scots College, um, she would almost certainly have been a, a big TV figure as a presenter of television programmes on science and so on. Partly due to financial reasons, the Somervilles moved to Italy in 1838 and spent much of the rest of their lives there with their two daughters. Mary remained active throughout the following three decades, keeping in touch with Europe's leading intellectuals and writing about the whole spectrum of science, from atomic theory to physical geography. But despite the international fame she received in her day, I think it's fair to say that Mary Somerville is far from a household name today. So I asked Alice Prohaska 
what we know of Mary Somerville's personality and what bearing that might have had on the way she's remembered today. She published, or rather she wrote, uh, up until, almost until the time she died, she wrote memoirs and autobiography and uh, her daughters edited the memoirs after she died and there's some very touching description in there and the personality shines through in her own words too. She was quite modest which is probably one reason why her fame didn't uh, blaze through the decades after her death. Uh, She uh, didn't put herself forward. People found her um, very uh, ladylike and genteel, which was important in the 19th century. She didn't scare people. Uh, she was very accomplished. She learned to paint and to play the piano to a very high level. And we have quite a few uh, paintings in the college by Mary Somerville. She was an accomplished painter of landscapes. Uh, and on as far as music was concerned, she always loved music. She adored opera. She played the piano really well. Uh, there's a painting by Turner uh, called The Music Room, which shows members of a house party gathered around the piano, and it is said that one of the figures is Mary Somerville. Hmm. And the recent film about Mr hmm. Turner uh, has a vignette played by Leslie Manville, Mary Somerville visiting his studios with a prism to show him how the spectrum of light worked. So, so Somerville College, obviously named after Mary, how did that, how did deci- that decision come well, about? She, she was probably the best-known woman scientist of her day, one of the best-known women writers and intellectuals there was. And when Somerville College was founded for women in 1879, uh, Mary Somerville was a, was a fairly obvious choice of name. The college was founded to be inclusive, uh, non-denominational, open to people of any nationality or background whatsoever. Unlike the sister college, Lady Margaret Hall, which was founded in the same year and was very much more tied to the establishment and the Anglican Church. So uh, what the founders of this college were looking for was a name that would have no religious significance, no political association, but would stand for um, the aspirations of women. And Mary Somerville was the perfect choice. And so you think that that sort of ethos of inclusiveness, that that sort of still permeates the atmosphere in in the college today? Very much so. We're now a college for women and men, have been for the last 21 years. And the male students and fellows of the college all, I think, subscribe to the same sense that uh, that we all share a sense that what Mary Somerville stood for and what so many others who followed her at the college have stood for is something uh, very pioneering, inclusive, tolerant. Uh, We like to think of ourselves as being a particularly diverse college, very international, Um, with a very strong sense of spirit and originality. And these are all things that she stood for, and she still does. So, so, I mean, within, um, so in March we have this special issue on diversity. Uh, So it's diversity um, in in physics, um, specifically. And uh, I mean, one of the things we look at in that is the phenomenon of of an unconscious bias that kind of perhaps still exists um, in science in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's often a... A kind of 
quite a set image of what a scientist should be. It's you know, it's a male, um, middle-aged person with a lab coat, and, and sometimes that kind of unconscious bias can can play out in some ways. I mean, what what sort of work has been done um, at Somerville to try and sort of avoid that that kind of um, well, first bias. of all, it's worth just noting that uh, the term scientist was mm. coined to describe Mary Somerville back in 1834 or thereabouts, uh, which perhaps is something we ought to make more of in trying to combat the attitude that you've just described. And I'm sure there is still a lot of unconscious bias. Certainly in the University of Oxford, we make very strong attempts to counter it, but uh, we don't feel we've succeeded yet there are not as many women in the higher echelons of academic science as there ought to be. There's a programme called Athena Swan, which is a nationwide programme that grants um, bronze, silver and gold accreditation to science departments for the amount of success that they can prove in promoting and supporting women in science. And some of our departments, particularly in the medical school, have done very well in the Athena Swan programme. As far as Somerville is concerned, we have a a special project at the moment, which we're running with jointly with the departments of chemistry and the Dunn School of Pathology to uh, create a new fellowship for, well, it's designed for people at an early stage of their career who need to be able to spend five years concentratedly on research and can compensate for any career break that they may have taken. So it's obviously designed particularly to encourage women, although it won't be advertised as being exclusively for women. And it will be named in memory of another great Somervillian, Dorothy Hodgkin, who remains to this day the only British woman to have won a Nobel Prize for science. She was a fellow of Somerville and she was supported financially for almost all of her career by Somerville College and uh, her face has appeared on postage stamps and she's she's famous but she too wanted to advance women in science she believed in supporting women in science and she would be devastated to think that 51 years after she won her Nobel Prize she is still the only British woman to have done Mm. so. Finally, how, how's the sort of atmosphere of being around the college, you know, learning that she's now going to be on this? On this oh, tremendous line. excitement. Um, uh, there's a lot of Facebook activity. Uh, <laughs> the students are very excited. The alumni are very excited. We're all thrilled. This is wonderful to have this recognition for Mary Somerville. And I think um, for a lot of people, even people who've been at the college, they're beginning to learn more about her now as a result of this recognition. That was Alice Prohaska and Alan Chapman talking about the life and legacy of Mary Somerville, who will be appearing on new Scottish £10 banknotes from next year. To find out more about current issues and initiatives relating to diversity in science, take a look at the March issue of Physics World, a special edition on this topic. Details of how to access that will be available on physicsworld.com from the beginning of March. So thanks for listening today and join us again next month for another Physics World podcast. Goodbye. Physics World.